Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. On this Epiphany Sunday, we're going to begin a series that is entitled, Who's Who? And this morning, we're going to walk through uh, session one, Who is God? Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading from the NIV. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He said to them, Bethlehem, he said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen, when it arose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw a child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When you say the word God, what comes to mind? What ideas come to mind? When I was a kid, I lived in a little town called Post Town, Ohio. That's my hometown, always be my hometown. Um, but I grew up um, really close to a lot of wheat fields and uh, uh, not too far from my house was a, 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 a friend of mine that uh, I wound up growing up with, and his name was Mike, and uh, one of the phrases that Mike would use is this statement, oh my God, and uh, he would use that statement um, whenever he got frustrated, and like any kid, I just picked up on it. One of my favorite things to do at Mike's house was to play Atari. He had Atari, and I absolutely loved Frogger. Many of you can remember playing Frogger. The whole goal was to get your frog across a couple roads without getting run over or squashed. But whenever I got squashed, or Mike got squashed, it would be like, oh my God, why did that happen? The thing is, is I wasn't allowed to say, oh my God. My mom hated it, so much so that when I'd come home and be doing something and I would blurt those words out, oh my God, right? So I kind of became accustomed to this taste of ivory soap. And once ivory soap didn't work, uh, it became wet wipes. So I don't particularly like the taste of wet wipes, um, but it stopped me from saying and using the words, oh my God, because in my house, that was almost a cuss word, um, using God's name in vain. But what do you think about? What is your view of God? Well, there are four 
belief roots and culture when it comes to the idea or how we view God. The first one is an atheist. They don't believe that there is one. I have to tell you, I really, really admire atheists because it takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. Then you have agnostics. Agnostics uh, is a person who claims uh, neither faith or disbelief in God. God could and could not exist. Regardless, they haven't any desire of knowing either way. Then you have polytheists. And polytheists believe that there are multiple gods. Um, and then you have monotheists. And they believe that there is one definite God. And one way or another, each one of us gets our idea about God from one of these four roots. As a Christian, I believe that God is one definite person with three different expressions. We identify this form of monotheism uh, as Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to get into all the logistics about how all three can exist all in one sermon. That'd be impossible. Instead, I'd just like to teach on this Who's Who series over the next couple of weeks and examine how God revealed and continues to reveal himself to us in order to enlighten and to transform the world. Today is Epiphany Sunday. Epiphany was one of the three great festivals of the early church. Easter, of course, Pentecost, and then Epiphany. Christmas was a minor observance in the cycle of celebrations in the early church. But once com commercialism seized the Western world, Christmas became the priority, followed by Easter. And today, Epiphany is an afterthought. So my hope is, over the next couple of weeks, we can really embrace the idea of Epiphany and that we can really value and cherish what Epiphany really means for us and for the church. See, Epiphany invites us to see God as, number one, the mystery revealed. Every moment in the Old Testament where we see God interact with humanity, God never reveals his person in tangible forms. Think about it. God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. God spoke to Ezekiel through the thunder. And yes, God spoke to Balaam through his donkey. I mean, really, his donkey. Uh, read the King James Version and enjoy the comedic relief with that translation. In no other religion in the world will you ever find that a true supreme divine God would make themselves available as a vulnerable and personal as you do with Christianity. And all of this is captured through this epiphany text. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. You will never see or read that God interacts tangibly with humanity until the moment of God's son Jesus being born. The mystery of God is always portrayed in a culture in culture as a booming voice or a peering eye from above. Culture makes God out to be impersonable and even aloof in some of the activities of the world. Have you ever met someone who says they know a lot about something <laughs> that honestly doesn't know anything at all? What a goofball. Sometimes even Christians can make God seem mysterious. 
And there's some real goofball ideas that God that about God that has crept into Christian culture as well. Like God'll never put more on than you can bear. Now, the truth is you you take scripture out of context when you say it that way. Paul's talking about temptation, not some problem or consequence of one's actions. Or something happens in, in, in our life, whether it be bad or good, and we chalk it up to that old cliche and reference God with, with it. Well, it must have been the will of God. What a bunch of hogwash. Those ideas make God myster- mysterious. See, not everything that happens to you is the will of God. Sometimes you do stupid stuff and you have consequences for it. Epiphany, the word epiphany means the light shines forth or the light is made manifest. Here's the wonder. Not just that God became flesh in a unique and powerful way, but that it's visibly and tangibly seen within Jesus. God takes away the mysteriousness of himself through Jesus. And God does it in some of the oddest ways. God uses magi. These guys aren't even looking. They know nothing about God. They know nothing about Jesus. They know nothing about Messiah. But yet God chose them to reveal the mystery of God to the world. See, Epiphany invites us to see God as, number two, majesty redefined. In Matthew chapter 2, verse number 3 through 5, it says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where's the Messiah was to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied. The crazy thing about this is, is that this divine revelation isn't by chance. It's not even a surprise. The people of God have known about this majestical event for thousands of years. If anyone knew about the coming Messiah, it would have been the chief priests and the teachers of the law. It is what their whole theology is based off of. The coming of Messiah constituted the reason for every moment of disobedience and every moment of captivity and every moment of genocide. Every song of Zion, every prayer of deliverance for Israel is constituted in the hope that would come in and through Messiah. So if anyone would know anything about where Messiah would come from, it would be the priest. It would be the teachers think about it. The Magi are compared and contrasted with the chief priests and scribes that Herod calls together. The Magi are traveling, seeking something they don't know anything about. The scribes, however, and the priests have the knowledge, but they're not seeking. They don't move from their comfort seats of wisdom and leadership, even when presented with the news that fits like the, the majestic knowledge that they prize uh, or they claim to prize that they own. See, knowing and seeking aren't necessarily the same thing. There are a lot of people that think that they know God, but have never sought him out to know him. Jewish tradition taught that Messiah would come as a conquering king. However, they didn't expect Jesus as Messiah to be born to, an, to immigrants in a stable and laid in a manger. God used this manger scene to redefine expectations. See, God takes what is meant for evil and turns it to good. God can take the ugly and he can make it beautiful. He can take filthy rags and make them clean. 
God can take the unrighteous and make righteous, just like he can take a sinner like me and redefine my life and salvation. These unexpected magi are so moved by the star that it compels them to leave where they're from and to follow it just so they could worship someone they have never known or met before. But, but what causes them to do that? Epiphany causes them to do that. Light was shed to make manifest of what God was doing. See, Epiphany invites us to see God as, number three, an unexpected grace offering. In verses 10 and 11, it says, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. See, Epiphany is a celebration of the mystery of incarnation. God with us in gracious, human, tangible form and the mercy of light that breaks into and shatters the darkness of the world. Epiphany is a totally unexpected thing for God to do to reveal himself to his people. This gospel story about wise men discovering Messiah sent by God in the form of a baby reveals much more about our creator than, may, than might meet the eye. It's only by God's grace that anything is possible, even through three kings honoring a poor migrant baby in a barn is a prime example of how God shows up in unexpected places. Notice right in that moment, notice the first thing that the Magi do. The very first thing they do is they bow down and worship him. They don't give gifts. The gifts come later. See, this is totally unexpected even in our culture. Today we focus so much on the Christmas time or birthdays. We get so focused on the giving of gifts rather than enjoying the company of those we are coming to meet. That speaks so much to us, doesn't it? This week, I want to challenge you to look and see where you see God. Look at the unexpected place that he shows up in your life. Let's pray.